Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter. We welcome you. If you want to watch live or you want to call your friends and have them watch live, just tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com, click on the TV show, up at the top it says watch show live, click on that, it will open up to you and you can watch this from anywhere in the world. We're going to do some studio shout outs tonight. We uh, have a shout out to medical student Becky Kay, who I met on an airplane not long ago. Great to meet you. Thank you for your advice. Uh, Kevin Cave, my partner in ministry, is here from Southern California. Traveled with me to Boise, Idaho, and we did Heart in the Civic Center last Sunday. It was excellent. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Brenda Yu from Salt Lake City here taking copious notes. Chris, Tyler Jordan, uh, a real great crowd here in the audience. And we want to go to a special shout out right now from some Boy Scouts. So uh, hopefully we're ready for that queued up. And Hi, I am Danny, the Senior Patrol Leader of Troop 1970. We meet Mondays at 7 p.m. at Mountain Springs Community Church. Please call 565-0361 if you would like to join us. And now we'll sing a song. Here we sit like birds in the wilderness, birds in the wilderness, birds in the wilderness. Here we sit like birds in the wilderness, Oh man, can you, can you, I don't even know what camera on, can you beat that? I, do, I just love it. Go uh, Troop seven, 1970, way to go you guys, and uh, if you're interested in Boy Scouts and you're Christian or LDS or whatever, go support Troop 1970, their phone number is there on the screen. All right, Heart in the Church, a special announcement, March 7th at 7 p.m. at Christ Evangelical Church. Pastor Scott McKinney. Uh, look them up online if you want the address. We'll give it to you in the weeks to come. But if you're LDS, you're invited. Scott McKinney's church is very LDS friendly. He has many people who are Christian. He does a lot of things with the community there by BYU. And uh, I just hear nothing but great uh, comments about Scott's church. So uh, bring your questions, your comments. It's an open forum and it's a great opportunity to uh, love on each other and learn about what our ministry is about and how to effectively share Jesus with each other. So we'll hope you'll go. Support group Truth Seekers. You can reach them at truthseekers333 at comcast.net. That's on the screen. And that is a support group for people who are coming out of Mormonism or just want to explore their faith with people of like-minded. They want to hear uh, people who have been LDS, maybe who are LDS, just talking about Jesus. Highly recommend Truth Seekers. Mitt Romney announced today that he is running for president. And, uh, you know, he was asked, what about the polygamy topic already? And, you know, the newscasters saying, boy, they're going to really go at him with his beliefs and things like that. And what do you think of polygamy? I had hoped that Mitt would tell the truth. I had hoped that Mitt would say, well, let me tell you about polygamy. My religion teaches that men will practice polygamy in heaven. Polygamy was abandoned in 1890, and it was finally done away with around 1910. And uh, they started excommunicating people who uh, continued to practice it. But we still believe it. We couldn't, Utah couldn't have been a state by practicing polygamy, so they abolished it. But, you know, it's in our Doctrine and Covenants 132. We, uh, we believe that it can occur. We believe that it is a true and correct principle. And even, even though we don't practice it now, 
we do believe it is an eternal principle. In fact, we so much believe that it's an eternal principle that if a man today who's LDS, wife passes away, he can go and get another woman and he can take her to one of our temples and have her sealed to him so that she can be one of his wives when he dies. And if she passes away, he can get another one. And if he has 20 wives pass away in his lifetime, all of them can be sealed to him so he would have those 20 wives later on. Now, this is absolutely true. Now, what did Mitt Romney say when asked about that? Well, listen, he said, quote, It bothers me to no end that the term polygamy keeps being associated with my faith, says Romney, the governor of Massachusetts, in an interview with The Examiner. Quote, there is nothing more awful in my view than the violation of the marriage covenant that one has with one's wife. He continues, quote, the practice of polygamy is abhorrent, it's awful, and it drives me nuts that people who are polygamists keep pretending to use the umbrella of my church. He adds in his ornate office at the state house. Final quote, my church abhors it. It excommunicates people who practice it, and it's got nothing to do with my faith. I want you to know, whoever's watching, streaming video, live here in Utah, that that's a categorical lie. Now, Mitt Romney may be uninformed about his faith. That's possible, but I don't think so. And I think he's just spinning so that he has a good public uh, appearance and he represents the LDS Church well. LDS Church renounces Doctrine and Covenants 132. They have a better leg to stand on, but they haven't renounced it. They still practice ceilings in the temples for more than one wife, and they still believe in it, believe it or not. All right. I want to tell you about a DVD really quickly. I don't know if you can see it. It's called Waiting on the Lord, and it's a DVD we're giving out for free. If you're LDS and have come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can go to our website at www.bornagainmormon.com. You can ask us if we'll send you this DVD. We'll send it to you, no charge. It doesn't cost anything. It's about 20, it's 19 minutes, 50 seconds long. And it just talks about your relationship with the Lord. So we highly recommend that if you're interested in learning more about how to wait on the Lord, what it means to be born again, that whole thing, that you'll tune into that. Okay, what else do we have here? Um... I have a special comment about our heart in the Civic Center. Uh, last Sunday, I boarded a plane with my, um, with my partner in ministry, Kevin, and we met the managers of the station up in Boise, Idaho, and we had a thing called a heart in the church, a heart in the Civic Center, and there was about 200 people that showed up. And it was a wonderful event of a question and answer. It lasted a couple hours. We were able to do worship with a great worship leader from a church up there and uh, just talk about the Lord relative to Mormonism, biblical Christianity, and what Latter-day Saints believe. And so um, that is something to um, be thankful for. And if you're interested in a heart in the church, a heart in the civic center, or anything else, please contact us and we'll do it. Church Scouts visited a church in Idaho, and I want to recommend the Nampa Christian Center at 1423 2nd Street South, Nampa, Idaho. You can go to www.nampachristiancenter.org if you're looking for a good church. It's Senior Pastor Mike Snell, Associate Pastor Ray Ellis. Their Sunday morning service begins at 10 a.m., and it's a church that is very mindful of worship. The uh, message is taken directly from the Word, and it has a lot of youth and a good youth band, if that's of interest to you. So 
we can go from there. All right. I have received a few emails from my Catholic friends out there, and I have to address them. Uh, they were angry because I lump Catholicism in with Mormonism and Hinduism and Islam and other churches. And in the fact, they say if, if Catholicism wasn't around, if it wasn't for Catholicism, there would be no Christian church today. So let me make a few comments on this before we go to prayer. First of all, like the LDS, I've known some very Christian Catholics in my life, and that's just my little subjective experience. Like the LDS, I've no, also known Catholics who have no more of a relationship to Jesus Christ than a tumbleweed. Uh, hear me very clearly. It's not your religion. It's your relationship. Okay? You have to understand that. Additionally, the institution of Catholicism, like the institution of Mormonism, and quite frankly, even many of the institutions in present-day Christianity are frankly pathetic. The institution, its popes, its prophets, its profit-making and popularity contests run amok. If I offend you and your sacred religious beliefs, too bad. I don't care. Okay, I care about people, individuals having a relationship with Jesus Christ that's regenerative, that they can say, I've been born again. If you can't say you've been born again, then you haven't. Because everyone I meet, regardless of the church they go to, if they've been born again, they say, I'm born again, and they know it. That's the important thing. That's what Jesus said. You must be born again. Christians and Catholics uh, are very happy to watch me bag on the Mormons. They love it. I mean, way to go, Sean. They email me, keep going on those Mormons. But if I mention one thing against the Christians, one thing against the Catholics, you guys, oh, you freak out. You can't take it in your own camp. Listen, it's not about the religion. And I will just, I will look at every religion that has problems and attack it. It's just what I'm going to do. I know that religion is good. I know that it's commanded of believers to congregate together with like-minded believers and to worship. And I know that the teachings are so important in the fellowship. But the religions are made of men. And we do our best, okay? But don't hold them as infallible. Hold God and His Word as infallible. Okay, so... I just wanted to let you know that, and let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this television time. We pray that you will be with us, the viewers, everybody here in our audience, people who are operating cameras, answering phones, doing work, and just let your spirit be here. Help me that I won't uh, get too uh, passionate about the discussion, and let's just go forward, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. There's a saying that goes something like this. A good English teacher will, when a sparrow flies in the room, put down the English book and teach about sparrows. Last week, we had a sparrow fly into the show. And it's really important, I think, that we take a step out of church history and we address this sparrow that came in and what we can learn about what was said. We had a sweet-voiced older woman, it seems. She may not have been too old call and she said that she has had numerous quote spiritual experience testifying to the truthfulness of the LDS gospel she added as a way to justify her position that quote lots of other people in the LDS church have had the same experiences she then claimed i can't deny it i feel like joseph smith who said i dare not deny it 
She then went on to bear testimony saying she knows Joseph Smith's a true prophet, that Joseph Smith truly had a first vision. She knows the church is true and the 12 apostles are true. And she kept going and I interrupted her and I asked her a question. I said, are you just going to keep bearing testimony or do you have a question? And then she said, how do you account for all these people in the church who have had these spiritual experiences just like me? I explain that there are many religions that have people in them who share similar spiritual experience and asked her how she accounted for them. I mean, how does the LDS church, which says it's the only true church on the face of the earth, explain the existence of people from other religions who have had similar spiritual experiences in their church with regard to their respective congregation and religion? How do you explain, how do the LDS explain the Jehovah's Witnesses that they claim to have a common mystical experience or gnosis or knowledge of the truth? How do the LDS explain the facts that Muslims and Coptics and Rosicrucians and Greeks and Orthodox Catholics and Seventh-day Adventists, to name a few, similarly claim spiritual divine truths relative to their own church? Our caller Janice did not get it. And it is not, in a not uncommon reply, she resorted to a famous LDS response. She said, I just know it. I said to Janice, I think you are sincere and believe the things you are saying. She interrupted me matter-of-factly and said, I know it. And then she added, I know of an assurity. I can't help but believe that even though we were supposed to be covering the magical practices of Joseph Smith tonight, that this sparrow is very important to our listeners. And I think it's my duty to, uh, to expose it and talk about it. I talked to Janice and I said, you have no more of an assurity, Janice, of, of, than a believing Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim who knows or an atheist who knows. You don't know with more of an assurity. She said, of course, of course I do. I said, no, you don't. She said, yes, I do. I said, I'm sorry, but you don't. And a little miff, she said, don't tell me what I know. And I ended the call there because we had 20 seconds left on the show. I think it's important that we talk about knowledge, knowing, belief, and truth. And so let's do that now. The study of knowing is a study called epistemology. And epistemology is a tough topic because... As men and women have studied it over the years, they haven't come up with too many concrete things that they say, this is exactly how we know things, or this is exactly how we learn to know things. But they have come up with a few general rules, all right? When a person says, I know something, they usually mean one of several things. They mean they are aware of something, okay? I know I have freckles. I'm aware that there are freckles on my skin. That's one sense of knowing that we use the term. The other one is that they understand something. I understand how the dog got out of the yard. Junior left the gate open. I am aware or I know, I understand how the dog got out of the yard. So we use this in a sense of understanding. Then there is the sense of I am absolutely certain that this is a fact, okay? In that sense of knowing. In metaphysics, or the study of spiritual things and, and, and things we don't, can't see, the use of the word know is usually limit, limited to the first and second definitions. I'm aware of something. I understand something. The use of the word know in the sense of being absolutely certain of the factuality of something is typically absent in most intellectually honest discussions about metaphysics. You don't have people say, 
I just know that there are a thousand gods out there, unless they're LDS, okay? Or unless they belong to some group that uses cultic practices to control the minds of members. You just don't hear it. We're going to discuss that now. Now, there was a famous philosopher by the name of Rene Descartes. He came up with what's known as the Cartesian philosophy. And, and Cartesian thought, Rene Descartes was a Christian, in fact. He believed in God. And he was very unusual because he required enormous amounts of sleep. And I said in another show, I think it was 16 hours, but I think it was more like 18 hours of sleep a day. And then he would wake up and he would have these miraculous insights into uh, what knowledge was and what knowing is. And what he did was he said, I'm going to examine everything around me so I can find truth. So he would say, does this cup exist? And he would analyze all the processes of trying to understand it and ultimately came down to, I can't even prove the cup exists. Maybe I'm being tricked by my senses, all these different things. So he would work down and down and down and he became kind of the father of skepticism, not believing anything. But Rene Descartes came to a very important uh, conclusion. He said, you know what? I have discovered that I can know one thing right now. I know that I exist. How do I know that? Because I'm thinking about knowing. And so I think, therefore I am. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's from Rene Descartes. I think, therefore I am. He went through the whole study of knowledge and is kind of the father of epistemology and how we know and how we don't know, all right? Anyone who has attended an LDS sacrament meeting, especially what they call the fast and testimony meeting, is likely to witness the following. It's an absolute opposition to what Rene Descartes discovered, and it's an absolute opposition to what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to show you why. A bishop or a bishopric member will get up, and they will do a thing called bearing their testimony. And then they will turn the time over to the membership once a month, and the membership one by one get to come up, and they bear their testimony. Now, it's important to know that when Christians share a testimony, what they are saying is, this is how I came to know that Jesus saved me. This is how I came to know that Jesus is Lord. They don't use, you won't usually hear a true Christian say, I know my church is true. Or I know this in this sense, in the, in the factual sense. They might say, I know this or I know that in the I'm aware of it or understanding sense, but they don't use the term know in the absolute fact sense. And I'll explain to you why in a minute. But if you go to the LDS church, it's a completely different thing. And so when the bishop or bishopric member opens up the meeting, you start to have children come up, usually. It's not always this way, but you start to have children. And they're young and they're three and four years old and they get to the microphone and they give their testimony. Now, if a child's too young to formulate words, a parent will, or to formulate sentences, a parent will come up and whisper into their ear what they should say. And this is, almost every testimony goes like this. It says, I want to bear my testimony. I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I know the church today is led by a prophet, Gordon B. Hinckley. I know the Book of Mormon is true. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Maybe something here or there. Thankful for my teacher. In the name, I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You can have one child do that. The next child gets up the same thing. The next child gets up the same thing over and over and over again. You know, you have five or eight or ten children do that, and then the teens sometimes start coming up. It doesn't have to go in that order, but then the teens start coming up. And teens will include the same things, but teens will often include a little bit more maturity and say, you know, I'm also grateful for my seminary teacher, or I'm thankful for the bishop, and, and, I, and I'm so grateful for the gospel in my life because so many of my friends don't have it, and they're so, they're so messed up in life, and I'm so grateful that I have this thing. And then you can go to young adults who have a kind of a little different experiential uh, thing that they'll share about their young marriage or something like that. And then if you get to the refined members, the mature members, they get up and they have a very polished uh, uh, testimony. And they're able to throw in jokes and make people laugh and then cry, this emotionalism of laughter. Crying comes right afterward and, and these stories and pats on the back for the stalwarts. But every one of those testimonies will include, I know the church is true. You know, I know the Book of Mormon is true. And the better it's delivered, the more you think it's real. I mean, the more polished they are at their ability to deliver this testimony, the more convinced the audience is that, I mean, if this man, this, this dentist who makes so much money and he's got eight kids and they're so, and he knows it's true, it must be true. And so they feed off that. It's just, it's just a meeting where they just reiterate, reiterate what they believe. Regardless, it's always said that they know. If you have had a conversation with a Latter-day Saint, it's not just the testimony in a meeting that is used, where I, we know or I know is used. It's also used at the door with missionaries. If you want to bring out the I knows from a Latter-day Saint or from a missionary, then you question their faith. And the more studious and the more educated uh, of the faith will be able to never go to I know. They won't go to I know at first. They will go to all the intellectual arguments and they'll go to all the apologetics to prove you wrong. And, and Joseph Smith did this. Yeah, but you did this. And he'll, they'll spin until they can't any longer. And when they can't any longer, boom, the I knows will come out. Well, I just want you to know that I know the church is true. Often accompanied with tears. And I've quoted this many times. There's, there's hope in their words and emotion in their eyes. It's so easy to be misled by the sad and gentle guys. And like fools, we'll trust the delivery, but it's all just drunk sincerity. I'm not saying they're not sincere, but they're drunk with the idea that they know that this thing is true. Okay? Ask them why. In the end, you will hear them like Janice did last week back into a defense mode that might go to when they were children standing up and saying, I know the church is true without having any idea of what that means. They just say it. They just know. One of the totalist methodologies that Robert J. Lifton, a doctor uh, from Columbia who studied cults in communist China came up with was this rule. You will find this in every cult. Communist China, communication occurs in all encompassing jargon which is repetitiously used, okay? So when you belong to a group where communication occurs in all-encompassing jargon that is repetitiously used, it's certainly a sign of, of mind control of that group. The phrase I know when used in the sense of this is an indisputable fact, when it's used that way, has grave difficulties with it. It's because we live by faith, which implies some measurement of hope and belief. And when you look at it that way, I know is a very ugly phrase. It's a very dangerous phrase. Let me explain. Hebrews 11.6 says, 
Without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, faith, we cannot please God. And Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith like this. Listen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? And then listen to this verse. It's phenomenal. Romans 8, 25, 24. For we are saved by hope. We're not saved by knowledge. We are saved by hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But hope that is seen, it says in Romans, is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? It's saying if, if you've seen something, where's your hope? You don't have it. That's our train going by. Listen, there is no I knows in the Bible. You do not have the I know testimony in the Bible except in a couple circumstances and in a Christian's life. And I'm going to explain those in a minute. You have two words in the Bible for no in the Greek, gnosko and uh, epistemi. That's where we get epistemology. Those two words, gnosko means I've had an experiential uh, exposure to knowledge. I've experienced this so I know this. I'm aware of this. I understand this. And epistemi is I have a head knowledge. That means I've studied this and understand this. But none of those are in the, in the sense of I know right now. Even in the Book of Mormon, Alma 32, read what it says. It says that if a man knows a thing, he no longer believes in it because he knows it. And then it also states in the Book of Mormon that faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. So in this book that was kind of modeled after the Bible, we have an early version of kind of what Christians believe knowledge, faith, and truth is. But as Mormonism continued to go on, they started to develop these traits of saying, I know all these things. I know, I know, I know. And that's what you have today. I know is the construct of men. It is based on the flesh. It is a carnal use of a term, and it's made from the philosophies of our minds, our suke, our soul. Colossians 2.18 says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophies and vain deceit. Vain deceit. Have you ever heard of a more vain deceit than, I know, I know, okay? After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now that's important. Why not after Christ? Because Christ is what? Christ is truth. And we're going to talk about why that's important. When you talk to a Christian, they'll say, I have hope. They'll say, I trust. I have faith. I pray. I look to. I long for. I seek. You know, I, I cry out. Rarely in my exposure to true Christians will they say, I know anything except for these things. And it's great. It's going to really open up what this all means. What a Christian will say they know is, I know I'm saved. They'll say that. And they don't mean I'm aware I'm saved. They don't mean I understand I'm saved. They don't mean gnosko or epistemi I'm saved. They mean I categorically know with a fact that I am saved. Latter-day Saints take that as something horrible for a Christian to say, how could you know you're saved? That's just terrible. They'll say they know the Book of Mormon's true, Joseph Smith's true, the church is true, prophets are true, blood atonement's true, polygamy's true, on and on and on. But they won't say they are saved. They know they're saved. And that is absolutely in opposition to what the Bible teaches. And I'll tell you why it teaches that. 
Knowledge is a distinct category of belief, okay? When you say you know something, belief is in that, it's involved in that. For instance, if I say, I know that that bridge is safe for me to cross, okay? What I'm really saying is I believe it's safe for me to cross. And if I cross that bridge and it collapses, I didn't know it, did I? I believed it and my belief was wrong. See, belief and knowledge are tied together. Uh, knowing something is tied to one thing. It's tied to truth. In order for me to say, I know that if I cross that bridge, it won't collapse, I have to have a surety that it is absolute truth. It cannot fail. Now, what does the scripture say truth is? Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. So when a Christian says, I know I'm saved, they are bearing testimony of Jesus and only Jesus because he is the truth. He's the only infallible truth, him and his word. So they don't say, I know my church is true. They don't say, I know my pastor's a really good man. I know that this is true or that. They don't because there is, no, there is only one truth to them and that is Jesus. And so when it's relative to Jesus, their knowledge is sure. Do you see the difference? The Christian's knowledge is tied to Jesus who is the truth. The LDS knowledge is not tied to Jesus. It's tied to an organization and everything the organization proposes as, as the truth. Do you understand that? Do you see the difference between the two? Okay. To Christians I know is only applied because of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you know what Jesus also said? He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, listen to this carefully before we go to the phones. And let's open up the phone lines at 801-973-TV20, uh, 801-973-8820. We're talking about knowing. If you have comments on that, it'd be really be good. If you have other questions, fine. Keep your questions short, but let me tell you what this means. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. When a, when a Christian says, I know I'm saved, it's because that Christian knows the truth, Jesus, and Jesus has set them free from what? From worry about whether they're going to hell or heaven. They know that they are saved and so because the truth has set them free. If you don't know the truth, Jesus, you're not free. And you wonder always, I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I've done enough. I wonder if that sin's forgiven. I wonder, wonder, wonder. But when you know the truth, Jesus, his truth will set you free. And that's why, and that's how Christians can say, I know I'm saved. That's not arrogance, my friends who don't understand this at all. They know that they don't deserve probably to be saved, but they know they are because this is what Jesus promised. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved, period. So they know that. And that is the knowledge you need as a Latter-day Saint to come to, whether you stay a member of the church, that's what you need to come to as a Catholic. That's what you need to come to as someone who sits in a pew and says, I'm Christian. If you haven't been born again and you can't say, I know I've been saved, you have to be born again. And the reason I can say that so emphatically is because regardless of the church, the people I meet who have been born again all say, I know I'm saved. And I know I'm saved because I've had that 
Gnosko experience. I've had that epistemi experience and I've had that this is a fact based on truth, which is Jesus Christ. I hope we have the I know thing settled and let's go on to the phones. We have Chris, first time caller in Boise, Idaho. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Hey, not too bad. I just had a quick question. You know, um, how come it is that, uh, you know, anytime that somebody comes along and declares himself a prophet, uh, they just get picked apart and get made, you know, to, to, you know, that they're not even anything important at all, you know, Christ, he was picked apart, they all said he was a prophet, you know, I mean, anywhere you look in the Bible, anytime that somebody's come along shouting the news of, you know, God's message and Christ's love, people find ways to, you know, pick them apart. <coughs> and so, uh, you want to know why that is? Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that Joseph Smith, although he may have done some, some strange things here and there that people don't necessarily agree with doctrinally, he still led a lot of people to Christ. And I think ultimately the message is getting lost when people are focusing only on doctrine and they're not focusing on the true message, which is salvation. You know, you know Chris, we had this discussion earlier, and the interesting thing about God is uh, he lets all kinds of people lead people to him who are not uh, good people. I mean, the king of Babylon, uh, he, the Lord used him, God used him uh, to put the Jews into, into captivity, and he was no, no, no connection to God. God will let uh, these some people on TV who are horrible people, who are asking for money all the time and doing this and that, lead people to Christ. God he lets them do what they want. So, Joseph, I'm, I'm not saying that people haven't come to know Jesus because they talk about Jesus in Mormonism, but I'm saying Joseph Smith, as far as being a prophet, wasn't attacked because he was a true prophet. He was attacked because he was a false prophet. And, and listen, what did Jesus warn about constantly? Beware of false prophets. So that means they have to exist. And so, therefore, we look for them. And what are the signs of them? Well, there are a whole host of them. Like they say things that aren't true, that they say are going to come to pass. Did Joseph ever do that? I'm sorry, but he did. And you have to look at a number of other things. And so in the light of all that stuff, Joseph is not just thought to be a, a false prophet. He was. Now, let me say this so that the LDS don't get too offended. I don't know his intentions. That's one thing I don't pretend to know. I don't know if he thought he was doing a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if he was full of the devil or, or full of a desire to make things better. But all I can say is the end result is against what the Bible says, Chris. And so I'm sorry, I can't go along with that. Well, I just feel, you know, that the, yes. the whole idea that God himself or Christ himself didn't name one particular religion for us to follow when it came to Christianity, he left it open to us because I think that he knows that he's, you know, we're all individuals. We all have a unique relationship with God, mm. and God knows that. And, he, you know, we all have different thought patterns. Things make sense to us all differently. So that when we, when we find our faith, God wants us to have as many options as possible to okay, us. If you're LDS, I want you to know that they don't agree as with that. Catholic and Catholic. Are you, are you LDS, Chris? 
I'm personally not, no. Okay, well then that's good because the LDS do not believe what you're saying there. They believe they are the only true church and they're the ones who said all the other Christian denominations were an abomination. So you have to understand that what you're saying does not coincide with LDS doctrine on other churches. Now, the Christian church will say, hey, there's a lot of different denominations and a lot of different ways to approach God through Christ. So I think you're, what you're saying here really is supportive of the Christian church. Well, I think Catholics and I do too. Everybody picks apart every everybody else. Hindus? We all going to be Hindus? The ones saved and chosen. Hind Hindus? Hindus? Oh, Hindus? No, no. Catholics, uh, you name it. Baptists. So you draw the line at people who include Jesus in their church? Well, no, I don't. But so then Hindus are okay? That's beyond you know a Christian atmosphere. So then you're talking about people who involve Christ in their church? Well, I I think that if you have two people. One's a Mormon, one's a Catholic, and they're both on... I understand. I'm just asking you, so you're just limiting it to people who include Christ in their church somehow? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay, fine, you got a, a, a Hindu and a Buddhist. They both go down to some foreign country somewhere and give aid, help, educate. So help. you're saved by your goodness and the works you do. That's right. Okay, excellent. Chris, I totally disagree with you, but we got to move on and take another call. Thank you so much for calling. Hey, God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Dan. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> our, uh, our, one of our managers here and then gave me a horrible cold, and I can't get rid of it. We're going to Dan, first-time caller. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. I'm just, uh, I've got a question of curiosity. All right, let's hear it. Your appearance and dress seems to reflect... Uh, my inward self? Hell's Angels bike riders. Is that who you're trying to, to be, one of I have Hell's been, Angels? I've been trying to be a member of the Hell's Angels since I, and they won't let me in. So I just keep dressing like it, hoping someday that they will accept me. Well, they do have certain standards, that's for they sure. They certainly do. <laughs> Yes, they do. That's all I wanted to say. So do most groups. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow, what an insightful call. Oh, personal dress. I always like it when it goes to that. All right, we're going to Jeff on line four. First-time caller. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I'm an active LDS member, and I appreciate your comments tonight, and I very much appreciate your show. Thanks. Um, I, I very much enjoy your topic tonight about faith versus knowledge. I agree that in sacrament meetings, oftentimes the word know or I know, that phrase, yeah. is probably used a little too much. I think you're overstating a little bit, though, what really happens in your typical uh, sacrament meeting. I understand you're trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, I think that the surety that we can have in Christ's mission and in his role as Savior and Redeemer of all mankind <coughs> gives rise and leads naturally to um, LDS people's knowledge and belief in the gospel that he is the center of, that he has established, and the his kingdom on earth and the surety of the kingdom that he has established here on earth. I just wanted to make that point. I very much appreciate your comments. Uh, I'll continue to watch and I'll take your response off the air. Okay, Jeff, thank you. 
I, uh, I understand what he's saying because I think there are Latter-day Saints who, who view their, their surety and knowledge that this church is the restored church of Jesus Christ on the earth and that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. I know they believe that. that. But um, I also know, experientially, that they believe that everything Joseph Smith introduced as being part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And therefore, remember the bridge example, if it's true, you can say you know it. But if it's not true, then your knowledge is, is wrong and you're using the wrong term. And so what they do is they mix what Jesus' pure gospel was with what Joseph also added, okay, which is not biblical or in scripture. And they have to trust that what Joseph said was infallibly true. And there is why you have the reasons with them saying, I know. Additionally, they begin to say it at such a young age, many of them, that when you say, I know something, there is no reason to ever look at the alternatives. When you start as a young child and say, I know something, I know something, I know something, when someone says, yeah, but did you know that the Book of Mormon is, contains this? It doesn't matter. I know it's true. Because when you say I have the knowledge of there's no reason to look at any other data. That's why I always say facts don't always reach Latter-day Saints. I seriously believe we could put a picture of Joseph Smith riding a goat in a women's dress and no one would leave the church because they've been saying they know for so long that it's not based on facts. And that's what you have to try to base it on. And when I say facts, I mean truth. And truth is Jesus. Does Jesus and Joseph coincide? They do not. And so this is where our argument is, Jeff. Let's go to Gwen, first-time caller from Ogden. Gwen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Gwen. Yes. Ooh. You gotta okay, good. You got to turn that TV off. <laughs> or down. Off. You're on, Gwen. I had a couple of comments. Uh, one, uh, there's a psychological principle that what your ear hears your mouth say often enough you actually come to believe it, and I think that, you know, goes along with what you're saying. And then I wanted to read uh, three verses of Scripture. Uh, by the way, I am a, a former Latter-day Saint. My grandparents were pi a pioneers, so I was a third-generation Mormon, and I have been a Christian for probably 35 years. Okay. I wanted to read from 1 John about, this goes along with what you were saying about knowing through Jesus. Yeah. Because this is the testimony I'm starting in verse 11. Okay. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you, that you may know that you have eternal life. And ah. so eternal life is the same thing as salvation, I believe. Yes. And based on God's based on God's Word, is how we know that, because he says so. <laughs> Gwen, yes. I can't thank you enough for uh, pulling those scriptures out. I didn't think of those, and uh, that is a wonderful summation for Latter-day Saints to hear, that they know because of Jesus Christ and their, and their belief in Him that they have eternal life. That is a wonderful verse to share with our audience. Thank you so much. And by... By the way, <laughs> I never could say that I knew. I, was, I tried to be very intellectually honest in all of my years in Mormonism, and I could never 
stand up in testimony meeting and say that I knew it because I knew I didn't know it. <laughs> well, you're an honest lady, and that, that really helps to finding truth, doesn't it? Well, and the, one of my, uh, the things that I thought when I was confronting, being, you know, being confronted like you're doing, I had someone confronting me about it, and I thought if something is really true, it will stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. And you can, uh, you can investigate it from the top, the bottom, the middle. And I encourage the Mormons uh, that are listening to you not to be afraid, because if your religion is really true, you can investigate it. You can look. You can see all of the evidence. And don't be afraid. Just just keep going. Life goes on. Yeah. That's a great testimony, Gwen. Thank you so much. Thanks for your show. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to go to some emails quickly. Uh, the lines are full. But um, let's go to, uh, let's see. Oh, I didn't do this, and I'm sorry. Let me say this. Um, uh, Dear brother, I'd like to thank you again, not only for your, uh, your book, but for response. Understand my email. I'm really starting to understand what you were trying to say. I am LDS, and as I let the Lord guide me, I am feeling myself seeing things in a whole new light. I have so many questions, but I'm reluctant to talk to anyone at church so far now. I'm just reading the Bible uh, as much as I can. Let the Lord be with you. This is from J.M. And uh, J.M., uh, great email. Okay, also, I want you to read. This is from someone who calls himself Chuck Smith, who was my spiritual mentor. Uh, Sean, I just don't know why you can't leave the church alone. Pretty funny, huh? I have just done a lot of reading and studying and know what I know. The Lord will go on despite, the work will go on despite your efforts. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us, Chuck. And uh, Martin writes, have you read the Book of Mormon in its entirety with the explicit understanding of Moroni, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5? If you are as serious as it sounds about your salvation, you would do it right after this email. So I want to tell you, Martin, that as soon as I put this email down, I ran and I read the Book of Mormon in its entirety. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I have read it before in its entirety, and I have applied uh, Moroni 10 that if this book is not true, uh, and I found out that it, that was correct. I found out that it is not true. Okay, we are going to Pamela, uh, second-time caller in Provo. Pamela, you're on Heart of the Matter. Pamela, you got to hang. Sean? Yes. Hi, Sean. This is Pamela. It's called Once Before. I'm, I'm a pretty fast talker. Okay. I want to say on the air that I know that God has sent you to free some people with some knowledge. Well, thank you, Pamela. And that it uh, takes a lot of... I noticed that the LDS people have, are, have a pride spirit, and they don't want to, first of all, realize that it's uh, a, a knowledge, you know, that they need to come unto. And tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And I just want to shout out that Jesus Christ is a gift. He's the deliverer of a new heart. All right. Praise God, Pamela. Thank you so much. Sean, can I get one of your books? Yes. Yeah, stay on the phone and somebody will uh, get your um, information. And I'm here with Gianni. Oh, you're with Gianni. Yes, I am. I'll, I'll send it to Gianni's house. Thank you, sir. Okay, take care. Bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Jamie, first-time caller. And Sandy, Jamie, you're in Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, my husband and I, we're both Christians, and we really have a heart for the LDS people and just for them to know the truth. Um, but we kind of have a question about um, 
a lot of them that we know have experienced like healings and miracles and stuff, and they use that a lot to just kind of justify their faith. And I guess, how do you explain the healings and, and the miracles they experience? And and I don't know. How do you explain that? A couple ways. Uh, one, I always say, listen, uh, God, he doesn't say, uh, if you're not born again, I won't heal you. Right. Uh, he, we are his creations. I mean, he hears the sinners and the saints and, and he's going to bless people. So there's no reason why a Latter-day Saint can't be healed by people praying for them. The other thing is Jesus said, hey, you know, in the last days, people are going to say they're prophets. People are going to say they're of me. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal in your name? I mean, and, and he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. So we know that healings can take place. Sometimes I see, uh, I don't know if they're real or not, I see healings on TV. I highly question if those things are real. And if they are, well, you know, maybe God steps in and he works through the charlatans like he does others. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know it is not uh, a, a definite manifestation that Mormonism is true. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that there are uh, Muslims who probably pray to God and say, my child's dying, heal him. And the child could be healed. I trust in a God who loves us that much. But it still is not indicative in light of everything else that they have and they represent as truth. It's definitely not indicative of that. By the way, in my 40 years as a Latter-day Saint, I have seen countless and participated in countless uh, blessings of healing. And I've never seen a miraculous one. But that's, again, my limited experience. If the Latter-day Saints have some, you know, call and share those too. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Thank you for your call. God bless you and your work. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. I'm going to take a moment before I forget. And uh, everybody here at KTMW TV 20, our heart goes out to everybody involved, the community, the victims, the people who died last night at Trolley Square here in Salt Lake City. What a horrible event. May God come and just heal this community and help those people who had loved ones who were tragically uh, uh, hurt or murdered, or uh, traumatized through that event. Uh, we, uh, our hearts go out to you, and we pray for you, and uh, we're so sorry that this occurred in this community, or if it occurred in any other. All right, we're going to David, first-time caller in Provo. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? David, you got to turn your TV off. Okay, sorry about that. That's all right, you're on the air. Okay, good deal. Hey, this is uh, David. Hi. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say my name or anything like that, my last name, but um, I was actually uh, in your uh, Huntington Beach first ward. David? David who? David, um, should I say it over the end? <laughs> Jeffers? David Jeffers. You were, I taught you in seminary, too. Yep, you did. Yeah, and in Sunday school. David yep, Jeffers. Yep, what? I, I just had a, I just had a question. Um, I was just kind of curious about, um, you know, you're talking about how you, you know, Looked down, or not looked down upon it, but how it happened so often in fast and testimony meeting about how you, you, you know, people whispered into their kids' ears and stuff like that. And, yeah. Um, you were also one to do that. Yeah. And I was just wondering, like, if, if you could explain yourself how you've changed from that. Well, you want me to explain how I changed or you want me to explain why I did it? Well, both. All Actually, right. If you could explain why you did it and then... The reason I did it, David, is because I was raised LDS, like you, from a child. I was taught that these things were true. I, these are the, this is the religion of my mother and father, all my brothers and sisters. This is where all my nieces and nephews go. And uh, I wanted to please the Lord. 
and I wanted to do the things he wanted me to do, and I tried to remain faithful. The problem was that even though I was whispering those things in children's ears, I don't think I ever did that, but or told you that the church was true, it was because uh, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um, and I thought that that was going to make me better in God's eyes. But in reality, David, I was a sinner. And I didn't recognize myself as a sinner. I recognized myself as somebody who was working towards their salvation and didn't have a regenerative experience in their life for Jesus to tell me that he has saved me by grace alone. When that happened, David, I, um, it changed my life so radically that I realized that the spiritual rebirth is not part of the LDS experience, and it needs to be. And so that is what the whole ministry is about. Um, and then also, I recall that you also, like, served, you know, you served a mission as well, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then now I was just wondering, when you were preaching, um, when you're preaching to the people, were you preaching <coughs> what you believed before or what you believe now? Cause, oh, no, when I was on the mission, I taught Mormon stuff through and through. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, I taught the standard stuff. What, say that again? I taught the standard stuff. I taught the, uh, the uh, discussions that we were taught to memorize. Did you, uh, did you believe it to be true, though, then? I believed I wanted it to be true. And I believed in it because that was the only thing I had been taught. Okay. So, but I did not know my place before God, and I did not have a relationship to Jesus that was within a million miles of the relationship I had with Him since I've been born again. That's the best way I can describe it. All right? Okay, sounds good. Well, uh, it was good talking to you. Good hey, to David. Great to talk to you, and uh, look forward to seeing you. You have great parents back there in Huntington Beach. Tell them hello, and I love them. All right, will do. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right. Let's go to Justin, first-time caller, line two. Justin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey. Hey. Um, first of all, I wanted to say that I uh, really like the uh, jacket and the shirt. Yeah. Guy on my side. Oh, no worries there. All right. Um, second of all, I'm... Uh, I was also raised Mormon. I went on a mission, um, and I have learned that uh, there is so much more outside of Mormonism. Um, I guess my question to you, since this is we're supposed to be asking a question, yes, uh, do you believe <clears throat> that there are more Christian faiths that are pushing their own agendas outside of just Mormons? Um, because there are a lot of uh, various Christian faiths out there: uh, Baptists, Catholics, Lutherans, whatever. Um, but they all seem to have their own spin on different things. Um, they do know, and I, I loved what you had to say about knowledge, because I, I just laughed myself to death because I remember just watching those and listening to those testimony meetings and just, you know, everybody getting up there saying that they knew these things that they really just didn't know at all. It's just yeah. kind of uh, brainwashing, if you will. So well, let, uh, let me answer your question. Okay, go ahead. I think that, uh, well, the first thing that's important to understand is that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of believers, and they are found sitting in congregations, in their homes, in places all over this world, who we might even be surprised to find out are members of that church in some ways, and be very uh, aware of some others who are, okay? But it's not in a church. Secondly, do, do, do Christian churches have their own agenda? Absolutely. And in fact, some of them are deplorable, in my uh, opinion. This makes some pastors mad when I go down this avenue, but again, I don't care. I mean, how could you turn on the TV and look at what they're saying and doing in the name of Christ and think that it's good? 
You just can't. So it's, you know, it's appalling to see that. But I, so I admit that readily. My thing has always been against people having a relationship to a religion and not a relationship to God through his son. And that's the focus of our ministry. Okay, and, and along those lines, do you also believe in faith or people who um, are, are very good people who feel enlightened that do not believe in Christianity? Uh, no, no, I don't. Um, I, I, I think that um, there's, there's God, I'm so thankful, is the judge because he knows all things and he knows their hearts and he knows what they long for. But without Christ, there is no hope. And that sounds dogmatic in this very liberal world we live in where every road leads to heaven and, you know, let's just love one another. But if I was to say that it's okay for a Hindu or someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and that they will go to heaven, what I'm saying is I don't care that Jesus suffered for me. I'm saying I spit on that, on that act because Jesus, they don't believe in you and they're going to be fine anyway. So I absolutely, categorically cut it off on anyone who does not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Hmm. Yeah. Have you studied the Dalai Lama? Yeah, I have. And what do you think about, about his way of life? Well, he's no different than Gordon B. Hinckley in the sense, I know Gordon B. Hinckley admits Jesus at, at least, but the Dalai Lama is a moral man. He, he represents great values. He represents good systems and great thought. But the problem was, if that stuff would save us, Jesus did not need to come. He just didn't. We could have guys like the Dalai Lama saying, hey, stand for something, or do these uh, eight paths to enlightenment, or do this, and that's all you need. But Jesus had to come. And therefore, we have to learn who he is and what he means to us. So you know, if, if people that are good people that are Hindus never accept Jesus Christ, what then happens to them after this life? Again, God is the judge, and he knows what they think of him. He knows what their hearts are relative to him. And you go to Romans, and you'll read that it is God and their relationship to him that matters. You know what? We have 35 seconds left. Hey, i got to let you go. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye. Listen, condolences to uh, my friend Janiel. She lost her sister. Good luck to Brian, who just started Bible College at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. And uh, Dave, who wrote me a five-letter, a five-page complaint. Sorry I couldn't get to it. We'll try to get to it next week. Hey, tune into the Infallible Word. It comes on Mondays at 9.30 p.m., Fridays at 8.30 p.m. If you want to learn the Bible, you can go there and just read verse by verse. Study with us. We love you. LDS Christians, let's find Jesus. See you next week.